Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. My name is Tim Harden. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. I am a president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How you doing? Doing all right, man. Doing okay. Uh, we're we're pretty busy lately. I'll be honest. We've been uh, reading, uh, honestly, hundreds of bills a week now. Uh, we are in full swing. As a matter of fact, uh, we are officially, I think, on Wednesday here at day 100 of legislative session. Right, Jeremy? That's right. Day 100 of the 140-day legislative session. So impending deadlines. So I think, uh, you know, let's talk about uh, our priorities first. You want to kind of walk through kind of what, what we've been promoting Texas Prosperity Plan uh, and kind of where everything is sitting currently right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it'd be a pretty quick update uh, in that. So we, of course, have the Texas Prosperity Plan. Generally speaking, we have kind of four prongs of policy, right, that we'd like to see uh, come out of the ongoing legislative session. Uh, first and foremost, of course, uh, you know, that starts with, uh, specifically the budget, or we'd like to see lawmakers pass a frozen budget, right? And ultimately what that means for anyone that maybe hasn't tuned into our previous episodes and all the kind of times we talk about this is that we just want to see no additional growth in spending based uh, based upon the last uh, biennial budget, right? So basically they could pass a budget that appropriates the same amount as they did last uh, legislative session, and uh, that would that would count as a frozen uh, budget. And ultimately, of course, the goal here is to not only curtail government spending, but to use that surplus uh, that would come from that, right, and the budget surplus we currently have uh, to do um, another prong of our plan, which is to eliminate property taxes. We can get more in the weeds on that here in a second. Uh, we also want to curtail local government spending because we don't think we can eliminate uh, property taxes or at least have an honest conversation about eliminating property taxes if we don't address local government spending. And then we also think we want to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying. So uh, very quickly, though, as, as where those things as policy items are in the legislative process, the Senate passed a ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying statewide. It's Senate Bill 175. Um, that passed uh, last week or the week before. It was just referred to the House State Affairs Committee. The House version of that bill uh, was referred, you know, two months ago. Um, neither have get, been scheduled for a hearing as of yet. Um, so, of course, you know, it's it's out of the the Senate. The House is who needs to take action on it. Um, with regard to everything else, with regard to the budget, neither the House proposed budget that passed two weeks ago or the Senate uh, proposed version of that budget that passed. Monday of this week uh, qualifies a frozen Texas budget, but they have now passed both legislative chambers. It'll go back to the House of Representatives where it's expected either today, tomorrow, maybe early next week. They will appoint a conference committee on the budget. That conference committee will be comprised of 10 people, five people from the House, five people from the Senate, and then they reconcile the differences between the budget um, if you will, and then at some point that gets shot out right before the end of the legislative session and they pass it. It's important to remember that's the one thing they're constitutionally bound to do, right? So the, they could do nothing else the entire legislative session uh, but pass a budget and they fulfilled their duty to elected office. Um, the only other thing I'd say here is we, there's several bills we're following that we favor specific to eliminating property tax or putting Texans 
on a path uh, to, to see the elimination of property tax, specifically through the buying down or the process of what's called buying down school maintenance and operations uh, portion of the property tax, the largest portion of the property tax. Not, none of those bills have received hearings in either the House or Senate as of yet. Um, and then same with our kind of curtailing local government spending bills. Uh, none of those have received hearings either. So I know it's long-winded, but that's kind of where those things are at. Yeah. So uh, first thing I want to touch on is is the budget. You know, when we when we've looked at the Senate version that passed, uh, I think what we are focusing on, and we'll we'll soon have um, a paper out, kind of explaining and breaking down where all the money is going, because everyone's question is, you know, typically where's the surplus dollars, right? Uh, I think most people who are paying attention understand that we've grown the budget tremendously. I think the the number we're at right now is three hundred eight billion biennially, which is obviously biggest budget ever. We've grown massively. Um, but that surplus, that $32.6 billion surplus that we continually talk about, you know, they have continually said that this is taxpayer money and we're going to give it back to you, right? And so how does that shake out? Well, uh, there is a number of things they're actually spending this surplus on. And like I said, I won't go through the list yet because we're going to have a publication that does that. But I think the biggest thing to focus on is one, uh, I believe it's $17 billion, uh, has not been spent. And so it is just sitting out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what's to come of that money? Well, it's just going to sit there uh, for the next two years until we deal with it in the next cycle, if they decide not to spend that. Now, in order to spend that, they right now would have to break the constitutional spending limit. Uh, we have yet to meet a conservative who is not okay with them breaking the spending limit to give more property tax relief. And so, you know, in, in a year where Homeowners are, uh, you know, right now I just got my uh, yeah, my appraisal. It's a nightmare. Uh, most people are showing their appraisals are a nightmare. Uh, it does not look like things are getting better on the local level. Uh, people are being pushed out of their homes. And so to leave half of the surplus that they promised to give back to taxpayers um, is a travesty. Uh, and if you're going to say that this is our money, but only give really honestly a third of it back, because what, what they're doing uh, just to kind of um, explain what they're doing with property taxes is they, I think they bumped it down a billion. So I think in new property tax relief, I believe it's 9.8 billion they're spending out of the surplus. Uh, and then they're going to, of course, add in that fake 5.3 uh, to get them to the quote unquote, you know, largest taxpayer uh, tax cut in history. This is old compression uh, from former previous sessions. And so um, this is what we're anticipating them to do is say, hey, we, we provided 15 billion. In reality, you subtract the 5.3 and it brings us to 9.8 billion dollars. And so of that 32 billion dollar, 33 billion dollar surplus, uh, we are spending less than a third of it on uh, compressing or or even reducing property taxes at this point. Of course, we do have a number of bills out there. Uh, we have the homestead exemption. We have the Senate bill. But uh, if you've been paying attention, there is this fight between the houses, the Senate pitted against the House. Dan Patrick said we are not passing HB2. I would uh, anticipate that the House is going to reciprocate to some level, at least. Uh, I don't know if they don't pass anything. I think they'll pass something. Uh, but I certainly think we're going to be ha having warring factions uh, throughout the, the rest of the session. And I just think overall, it's a shame in a year that taxpayers are literally bleeding out because of all of the, the historic levels of property taxes that yet again, you know, as we frequently say, they're doing the bare minimum to get by. They're giving us some trinkets. And I think best case scenario, unless 
Uh, we get a special call and, and more tax relief is is in play. Uh, we're talking probably best case scenario, a couple hundred bucks off your, your property tax bill this go round. I think the shame is it's not just that they're doing the bare minimum. It's that they're being deceptive about doing the bare minimum, right? By by trying to to use a specific number to to hit a specific threshold and then to not, you know, to, to or to act as if the the overall number is reflective of new property tax relief that people are going to get, right? Never mind that you didn't feel property tax relief, right, in, in the past. Everything they're giving you is new when the reality is, as you talked about, right, that a good chunk of that, right, upwards of $5 billion of that is old property, just to maintain old property tax relief efforts. There's a lot of takeaways, and we could spend forever kind of talking about where we're at in the session and what it looks like. I think the biggest takeaway for me and it's not necessarily a surprise to me as someone who kind of watches this process play out, but certainly I think a frustration of taxpayers is that not only did they over collect your tax money, right, in the upwards of nearly $33 billion, not only do they at least publicly tell you that they realize it's your tax money and they want to give it back to you, but they have elected to give you almost none of it back, right, in a way that would be impactful to you. And oh, by the way, they know all along that going into the next legislative cycle, this budget number, where they end up on right i think the house's proposal was at 302 billion the senate's proposal increased that to 308 billion wherever the conference committee report ends up on will be the new baseline right into the next legislative session that'll be the starting point right it, which is kind of this perverse way of looking at government spending if you ask me uh, but that you know they know that right and then of course you know catching or pocketing um, uh, this, you know, the 17 billion dollars that you talked about of the budget surplus uh, for the for the next time Keep in mind, that is not even our rainy day fund, right? So we're not even talking about the insane amount of billions of dollars that are just currently catched away, right, for any would-be problems that arise there. You know, taxpayers should be absolutely furious, you know, and, and I don't, it is difficult for me trying to take an activist hat off real quick to just look objectively at the legislative session and be like, you know what? Man, what they've done so far, 100 days into this legislative session, is certainly going to help me, my family, and my pocketbook at the end of the day. It's hard for me to find a win there, right? Not to be the cynic or dismal. I'm happy to be, you know, if you, if you disagree, but that's kind of where I'm at on it. Well, I know one thing is for sure. I am I am not going to become a honey producer. Um, you know, they've, they've criminalized honey producers. The House, I think, has been... Uh, to the Senate's credit, has certainly, as usual, been slower at passing uh, conservative priorities. Them having the majority of the Republican Party, they're not. They're they're basically just ignoring Republican priorities again. Uh, I I do think it's worth talking about kind of the timeline of session and where we're at. Um, you know, for 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 instance, those those surplus buy downs, the ninety percent, and and some of the other priorities out there. People want to know, well, you know, what chance do they have to make it? Well, uh, the reality is. Uh, Slimmer and slimmer every single day. And so I believe we were talking about deadlines uh, just a minute ago, Jeremy. And I, I think what May 11th is the official last uh, day for calendars to place a House bill on the floor. Or is that for the voting on the House bill? I, I think that's the last day they can vote on vote the House on. bill. Okay, yeah. So even yeah, worse. That, <laughs> uh, the calendar would be the May 9th. It would be Tuesday, May 9th is the last day okay. um, calendars can be distributed. And, and to me, I, I think the, even ahead of that, man, is the committees, right? The last yeah. day committees can pass out bills is May 8th. That's less than three weeks away. Yeah. Uh, and, and for those who don't understand how a calendars works, essentially there is a rule in the House rules that say – uh, you once a bill arrives in calendars or a committee report arrives in calendars, they basically have a, a clock of 30 days, right, to place it on a calendar. And this is 
used uh, to kill a lot of legislation. And so what y'all need to know right now is it being the 19th of April, uh, anything that goes into calendars can be held until they die at this point right now. So basically anything that came to calendars prior to uh, the 9th is still pretty much guaranteed to be placed on a calendar. But even being placed on a calendar, once we get to those last couple of days, it's very likely we're going to have probably like 100 bills in the hopper. Um, any extremely conservative pieces of legislation typically are on the back end of that. Uh, and even if they're not, uh, the game that Democrats will play is there will chub, right? Which for those who don't know what that is, they're going to get on the back mic knowing, okay, we don't want these bills to pass. And so we're just going to sit here and talk about nonsense for hours and hours and hours and basically push these bills off the cliff. And so it's important for taxpayers to know that already basically bills are dying. Now, just because a bill goes to calendars this late does not necessarily mean it's dead because the, the calendars committee does have the option and the chair has the option to place anything on the calendar they want that they deem to be a priority. They're only forced to put bills on the calendar after that 30 day rule. And so I think it's important for us to be aware of that and kind of where we're at being at the hundredth day today on Wednesday, when we're recording, um, you know, the, Bills are dying right now. Let's just put it that way. That doesn't mean all bills are dead if they get into calendars now, um, but the, the time clock is ticking. And this is typically the major way that all bills die in the houses on the clock. And you'll see, yeah, absolutely, well, well said. I mean, you'll also see these games be played, as you talked about, right, where the calendars will start to kick out and it'll be 100 count, you know, bills at a time, right? And those legislative days bleed into next legislative day, which bleeds into the next legislative day. And those calendars are the supplemental calendar, which is a combination of all these, these daily house calendars start to get combined and that list gets longer and longer. You know, you, you talked about Democrats chubbing. I mean, I would argue that Republicans are just as good at chubbing. They just do it differently, which is they specifically will put these bills um, in key places right and and kind of come up with tactics to to delay to get there maybe not all republican lawmakers but certainly ones in republican leadership that don't want to see uh, things like their own party's priorities uh make it across the, the the finish line you know that's what's happened in recent legislative cycles whether that happens this legislative cycle or not who knows but i think you're absolutely spot on that we are uh, already in the kind of dead zone, if you will, to where you can at least start getting worried about that sort of thing. If you're an activist or someone who's following legislation that has not yet gotten a hearing, you've got to uh, got to put some fire, in, you know, in the belly of some of these lawmakers, specifically maybe the author of the bill, to actually get the hearing request in, right? To uh, to try to get that done here in the next this week or the week after. Um, you know, the clock is ticking for sure. Yeah, I and and not not to be a negative Nancy, right? But if if your Bill, you're having to beg the committee to even give you a hearing at this point. That's not a good sign, right? Uh, if, if even the committee has not prioritized that as the hearing, I'm not saying it's not going to get a hearing. It might get one, you know, uh, in a couple of weeks, but that is not a very good sign that uh, the the lawmakers are prioritizing that to be put on a House calendar. I, I think it's worth reminding folks we're specifically talking about House bills and House, house joint resolutions Correct. at this point. So obviously, if your bill takes the form of a Senate bill, the Senate does have rules. I, I you know, certainly suspend it all the time. Um, and they, they operate differently. You know, it's not hurting 150 cats necessarily. So uh, those bills uh, can still be heard after those deadlines in the House, assuming they make it over. But it's just important to be aware uh, that if your if your priority takes the form of a House bill and House bill only, uh, we're, we're in that dead zone right now. Yeah. And, and just kind of, uh, you know, belabor your point, like 
now's the time. <laughs> now's the time. If you if you care about legislation, you need it to have a hearing very very quickly. Six months ago was the time, but now is definitely well, yeah yeah. Like it, <laughs> you, you, the clock is ticking out. Yeah. Uh, every day is less and less of a chance that your bill is actually going to pass if it's something that has not had a hearing in the Texas House right now. For sure. So um, the other thing I, I want to kind of bring up is uh, the possible, like just kind of what Dan Patrick has been doing and the threats of a special session and whether that is a good thing or a bad thing for taxpayers. And just to kind of bring up kind of the drama uh, between uh, the House and Senate, which just happens every single time. Uh, I think some of this is is a lot of it is theater, right? Uh, where where you know the Senate poises themselves in the more conservative chamber, and to be fair, they usually are. Um, and then the House, of course, the more you know liberal, uh, more slow walking conservative agendas, kind of unapologetically. And so you always get this, oh, you know, the House is too slow, and the you know the the House is mad at the Senate. And they play this game. And so what what Patrick has said, one, a few things. One, he said uh, that he will not pass HB2. Uh, he does not want a California, you know, our Texas, because he's referencing, you know, kind of appraisal reform that California da- did. And if you look at their real estate market, it's a nightmare. Um, he, he called it fuzzy math. Now, I would say that both chambers are using fuzzy math uh, personally. But uh, importantly, about a special session, very recently, Dan Patrick basically said, he has no problem forcing a special session. And I want to talk about the ramifications of what that actually means for something like property tax reform, especially if I don't think it's going to happen. I think we are going to see some sort of property tax reform passed. But on the chance that we don't, I actually think that's a very good thing if if we're going to have a special session. And the reason and the argument I would make is in a special legislative session, you know, there, there's certain priorities, specifically the governor will call the special session and name priorities. And so you're focused on very few, usually one, two, three, maybe four. Uh, and so you, you have concentration on a subject and it allows grassroots and voters and taxpayers to really focus in and, and kind of overwhelm lawmakers to get something done. And so even if we're not able to get the best property tax reform or they don't pass anything, I think it's very likely that we're going to a special session. And I just want to let taxpayers know that it's not necessarily a bad thing if we go into a special session, as long as they name property tax relief as a priority of, of the legislative session. I will be the contrarian and say that anytime the legislature's in session, it's a bad thing. Uh, but I, I would also say that I don't think if we go into a special session, it'll be on property tax um, specifically. I think ultimately this is me based on absolutely nothing. Uh, but I think, you know, the way Governor Abbott at least is tweeting about it, right? He th- he believes that the current proposals, leading proposals, whether it's the House versions or the Senate versions, qualify as the biggest property tax cut in Texas history. And by he believes, I mean like they're all playing right, kind of with this fuzzy math number and using the fifteen billion dollar mark as that as that threshold when they should be using the twenty billion. But I digress. That that all being said, um, I think you know they'll come to much similar to like the third special legislative session last cycle where they couldn't come to an agreement. So they kind of had this, like they ran through this Hail Mary um, at the, at the end of the legislative session uh, that just, you know, dealt with what was it? The, it was the disabled exclusion riot and all that stuff that was on the May ballot last, uh, last year. Um, I tend to think that, you know, 
I, I tend to probably believe that Dan will not allow appraisal caps to be the leading uh, property tax relief package. You know, House Speaker Dave Phelan already said he was at least open uh, to the compression aspect of it. And let's let's say yet again that the House's version, House Bill 2, had almost double the compression that the Senate version did. And so I think the compromise there is that that's probably where they'll at least come down before the end of session. That being said, I do think there's probably still going to be a special legislative session if they can't come to terms on things like school choice or the ESA bill, the education savings account bill that's making its way through the process. It's already passed the Senate, right? Unknown, unclear what the House is going to do with it, uh, given how the budget um, amendment went, right? Things like that, um, I could see uh, Governor Abbott potentially coming down on and then, you know, adding in additional priorities that weren't emergency items like he's done in the past few legislative sessions suddenly to uh, to satiate it but who knows right um, this is as you said this is always talk at this point of session towards the end of session um, and who knows what's actually happening in the smoke-filled back rooms of the capitol between the house speaker staff right the lieutenant governor staff lobbyists right and everyone else as they're trying to get their priorities uh done in the next 40 days yeah, I think uh, I think probably the most likely scenario, and this is of course speculation, um, is you know probably the House taking SB four, which is the compression, which is I think about five point five, and then them adding in probably right around ten billion dollars in compression. I could even see them like throwing in their appraisal cap, but then that gets stripped out in conference, and then we're left with you know roughly what they've allocated in the budget, right, which is nine point eight billion dollars. Surprise, surprise, right. I think last thing I want to mention before we wind down today is HB5, uh, because that is on the horizon. To my knowledge, it is still yet to be voted out of committee. Um, and so we do anticipate that being a priority of the House and a very controversial bill that we are opposing. It is the corporate welfare program uh, that has almost no checks and balances whatsoever. And it. it's it's far worse than than uh, 313, Chapter 313s that expired last go round. Uh, so just we want to keep taxpayers eyes on that. We will continue to be talking about uh, that. We will be opposing the bill when it eventually makes it to calendars in the House. I don't anticipate it's going to sit in calendars for very long. I think once they you know push the report over to calendars, I would assume within a week they're going to get it out uh, and have a vote. And I honestly can't wait to see the vote split on that thing. I think it's probably going to be pretty close because you're going to have kind of more of those squishy Republicans. There's what, 55 or close to 60 authors. I just right? checked. No, I just checked. It's 55 authors. 55 authors, right? And so co-authors. And so you need 76, uh, assuming you have you know a full house, right, to pass this. And so are they going to find the 20 extra they need to get it across the line? Uh, the Freedom Caucus has come out, which is what, 12 or 13 members, uh, and basically said, you know, we're going to oppose this. They've openly said that. I would anticipate people like Slade and Tinderhill would be opposing it. And so uh, it's going to be close. Um, and even if they get it across the finish line in the House, will the Senate reciprocate? I don't know. But this is a big deal. Uh, and it's worth talking about just because, once again, you know, it's it's the revival of the largest corporate welfare program in Texas. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. 313 uh, spent $11 billion uh, out of taxpayers' pockets. And in a year where we're, we're struggling to get them to give us property tax relief, they're overjoyed to give property tax abatements to multinational billion-dollar corporations. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, my – if I'm – again – based on absolutely nothing speculating, assuming that they think they have the votes for it. I think they bury it in a calendar, right? Um, and they make it to where it's like, this needs to get done now, right? And they hold other things hostage um, and pass it. I think, I, I I don't know that it passes out of the house. We'll see. I, 
to me, the calculus is on, more on Democrat lawmakers since it was bipartisan opposition last go around. You know, they took out the, uh, the green energy subsidies, right, for in this version, uh, which I don't imagine necessarily makes uh, Democrat lawmakers all that enthous- enthusiastic about it. And so I don't know what the exact calculus is there, but uh, um, I imagine you'll see some bipartisan opposition there. The question is, to your point, is do they have 76 or whatever the 50% plus one threshold would be that day to get it? And then, of course, the unknown is, does the Senate do anything with it um, afterwards, too? I don't know. We will see. Uh, I think that is about all we have time for today. Just want to remind everyone, uh, if you do not follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, uh, please uh, give us a follow and a like. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. And if you are not subscribed to our vote notices or our fiscal notes, uh, we are putting out vote notices every single day. And so it's a great way for you to keep up with important bills that are being voted on in both the House and the Senate. And of course, our fiscal note is kind of a, a very simplistic breakdown of what has happened and transpired this week. Uh, so stay tuned. We will see y'all again next week. We appreciate your time. Uh, and, you know, Godspeed to your uh, your your priorities. We're getting into crunch time now. Have a good one.